today we're talking about aging parents, aging ourselves, and this is really a guide to navigating the geriatric maze. Hildy Scheinbaum, welcome to Exit Strategy. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here, Stephanie Gary. Firstly, I, I have to thank you so much for including me. Your podcasts are so incredibly informative and so needed. Let me tell our listeners that, Hildy, you are a registered nurse and that you're a geriatric nurse care manager and you advise and coordinate on issues of care to seniors and their families. Everybody is going to need your help at some point. There's a good chance that at some point, all of us are going to face advancing age and an outright healthcare crisis with our parents or even with ourselves. And we're going to require family interventions and decisions. Let's begin with an overview perspective. Do you think there's a general avoidance of this discussion and the related topics? What can we do to tell people you need to talk and you need to get some things in order? Talk about that. There is definitely a general avoidance of the topic. It seems to be one of those topics that is often pushed to the side, likely because people are often empowered to think that these things, health crises, sickness, et cetera, will either never happen to them or that simply it's just too difficult to discuss something so unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Or even more so, people say, we have the time to discuss. And then unfortunately, people are blindsided by something that comes up so un unexpectedly. And the most important thing is to be able to plan. What should we be thinking about? How should we be thinking about it? There is one prevailing indisputable principle. And no matter how difficult it is to accept, we do not live forever. And if you keep this principle in the back of your mind as a reality check, planning will be made that much easier. The truth is it's never too early to begin to think about how you want to live in the future and how you want to exit the world. So there are so many overwhelming conversations to have when it comes to next steps as we think about our aging parents. How do we open up this dialogue? What's a process we can go through so people can walk away from this podcast and say, okay, I know what I need to do? So we need to do some deep soul searching when thinking about how we want to live at our later years. And with that, we need to understand what is realistic in terms of where we want to be and who we want to be with. When I think about these decisions and what I impart into my clients is that the decision is basically overshadowed by the principle of maximizing the quality of life. How does one see himself or herself? Are you a private person, someone who enjoys quiet time at home, or do you thrive on socialization and activity? Aging in one's home can give you the comfort of what's familiar, but it can be isolating. So aging in a community can afford you with the opportunity to participate in robust activities and socialization but it can eliminate some of the control that you might need. Is being near your family important? What type of life-sustaining measures would be consistent with your wishes? What kind of environment will your finances support? And all of these are questions that are interrelated and really need to be considered to come up with a viable vision. And that's how you have to synthesize in order to plan. I just want to talk about something that people hear about all the time 
which is long-term care insurance. How does one evaluate whether or not one should invest in it? We know it's a very costly product. When is the right time to get it? And is there a time when it's too late? Basically, long-term care insurance is designed to cover the cost of care, either in the home or in a facility or community, when a person can no longer care for him or herself. It typically covers costs that health insurance does not, and it can also be a very helpful benefit, but it does, as you said, come with a very high price. There are long-term care insurance specialists who have a deep understanding of what's available in the market at any particular time. And these people can present and explain in detail the various options and then relate them to your personal financial situation. It's very complex. People with pre-existing and complex conditions may not even qualify for long-term care insurance. And typically the broker can explain that to you based upon your medical history. Usually a general insurance broker can give you a recommendation of a long-term care specialist who can review your individual situation. Premiums, which are hefty, are determined by your age and medical history. And long-term care policy premiums are expensive, especially if you buy them after age 65. And they also have restrictions that dictate what type of care can be used. So it's really important to read the very fine print and ask many questions. And I know that the prices keep going up. It's not like you're locked in, yes. as some people may think when you buy these policies. Thinking about it in your 40s or 50s, while it's something that may seem so far away, it's the time that you can best purchase it at a reasonable cost. And if you do decide to purchase a long-term care policy, there are stringent guidelines that even determine when you will qualify for the benefit. So if you find yourself in the middle of a health crisis and help is needed in the home or otherwise, it's really important to call the long-term care provider as soon as possible to initiate the opening of a claim. Most policies have a 100-day elimination period before the benefit kicks in. I was with someone yesterday who didn't realize that and really doesn't have the funds to pay for an assisted living community out of pocket for those 100 days. So it's important to realize that and set aside some funds when the costs get hefty. One of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is when do we start thinking about a change of living environment for our parents as well as for ourselves? And I think it's the toughest conversation of all of this, actually. There may be overt signs that a change is needed, or there may be subtle indicators that prompt the thought that something is just not quite right. Repeated forgetfulness that might pose a danger to your loved one is one of the overt signs. So for example, you notice someone is forgetting to turn off the burner when cooking something at the stovetop, or forgetting how to do a simple task of daily living, turning on the shower. They're standing mm. there and don't know what to do. And then we have to remember the physical concerns related to aging that can pose a danger. If you're noticing repeated falls with or without injury, there's a good indicator that either outside help is needed or a change is indicated. As people age and our spine and joints have more wear and tear, we expect a change in our balance and a change in our strength and ability to move around. So safety is a paramount concern. And when a person is no longer able to navigate their personal space, then it's time to simplify that space and make a change. If there's a chronic health problem that might interfere with activities of daily living, such as bathing or meal preparation and grocery shopping, the simple things, 
if there's a problem that interferes with that, then it's time to consider an alternative living environment. And finally, one last thing, if there's evidence that a person is lonely, isolated, and need of some structure and engagement, community living can really assist with that. Yeah, isolation. This is such a key component as people age and partners die, et cetera, et cetera. What are the living options that are available to seniors? And how would I know where my parents or where I might fit in? So first, I want to say that neither Medicare nor third-party insurers will provide coverage for community living environments. Medicaid does cover care in nursing homes once a certain financial threshold is met. Long-term care policies, however, will often provide an allowance for people residing in these types of communities when certain conditions are met. So let's just talk about briefly the different choices that we have. Independent living communities, and they're basically buildings in which seniors live independently in a residential setting. Residents are living in their own apartments, like an apartment building, but there's a built-in social network filled with food, scheduled activities, and basic support that can enhance the quality of living for a healthy senior. But that's the word, a healthy senior. There's no medical support in these communities, although arrangements can be made for physicians to periodically visit, or if you have the funds, you can bring in private aides to help you with that. The next area is assisted living. People use that term very loosely these days. Assisted living communities provide aging adults with a safety net of services that support activities of daily living. Residents here have a wide variety of needs that can be addressed pretty much along a continuum of care. So some assisted living communities provide a social model, while others are more medically oriented for frailer adults. Most of these communities will have nurses on staff who can provide some needed support, monitoring, evaluation. And apartments in these communities are typically built with senior safety in mind. So there are safety devices in the bathroom, handrails, shower ease, ease of navigation. There are three meals a day that are provided. There's housekeeping and laundry, everything to make life of a senior easy. There's also organized activities throughout each day. And these communities offer different levels of care based upon individual needs. And there is a supplemental cost associated with that care as well. So how would I know when I need to move somebody from independent living to assisted living? So all of the communities have assessments typically at the onset. And the staff, not so much for independent living, because really and truly independent living environments or for individuals who are independent, like you're moving to an apartment building, but there's structured activity. You want an instantaneous social network, and that's independent living. For assisted living, there's also something called enhanced assisted living. It's complicated. Enhanced assisted living in New York State. And these are residents that hold specialized certificates from the New York State Department of Health that allow them to provide more hands-on assistance than a typical assisted living community. And those assisted living communities provide an increased level of care, more so than in a general basic assisted living. So if you're an individual who needs two people to help you get up, you would look to an enhanced assisted living environment. Often communities don't make that distinction unless you ask. So it's really important that you be aware that this exists. 
if you have insulin-dependent diabetes, for example, and you need insulin to be given. An enhanced assisted living community can do that. If you have an indwelling catheter, that's an enhanced assisted living. If you're a little unsteady on your feet, that could be a basic assisted living community. It's a continuum, but it's important to make that distinction as you're looking for these communities. What we didn't mention was memory care communities. They're either a separate living environment, a standalone living environment, or they're a community within an assisted living building. Staff typically working with those with memory impairment are trained in techniques to effectively communicate and care for individuals who may be forgetful, who may become easily agitated, or can no longer express their needs. And that's really important for those who have been given some sort of dementia diagnosis. Talk to me about moving to a facility versus staying at home. What's the difference there? Because I hear both sides of the story. Some people go to assisted living or go into independent living and eventually may end up in a nursing facility. And there are those who remain at home. Is it all about dollars and cents? It's about really personal preference and dollars and cents. It's a combination. And when we talked about planning at the beginning, it's really important to understand what the distinction is. So if you require structured activity or if you enjoy structured activity, if you want to have a canasta game, you might be better off in a community setting. As far as dollars and cents, it's important to understand that care at home comes with a hefty price as well. Mm -hmm. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to pay for AIDS at home, the cost could pretty much equal you know, what you're paying in an assisted living community. Care at home is also scheduled. So you have to determine, okay, I need an aid from nine to five on Monday through Friday. My family will be here to take care of me on the weekend versus I need care as a standby. I'd like to have somebody around so that if I need anything, I can press a button and care will be there. That's more doable in an assisted living community. And interesting, I think that when one is remaining at home, there's a lot more on the family to navigate the care, to make sure that the care is there as opposed to being in assisted living or independent living where people are there working and they take care of that piece, right? Yes, absolutely. It definitely is a family responsibility to oversee care in a home. There are fewer eyes and ears. And so I always tell my families that it's never stop being an advocate for your loved one even in an assisted living, you, you want to check in and, and periodically ensure that everything you want done is being done. But in a home setting where you're more isolated, I think it's more apparent that that is needed. It tends to really run the gamut of what families want to do, how active families are, their proximity to their loved one, in addition to having stimulation for their loved one available to them. I often have a conversation with family members who feel that they've promised their loved one, especially one with dementia, I will never move you. You will always stay in your home. 
And sometimes it's a travesty because it's a long day when you're by yourself, when you're isolated. You've read all about seniors at home during COVID, how so many of them have become depressed. Just think about the day, the course of a day, and how in an assisted living community, you're moved along. You get up, you're helped to be washed and dressed, you go to a meal, then maybe you go to a lecture, you can talk about some politics, you can maybe go to an art class, you can listen to music, and the day goes by and you're very enriched. Whereas at home, especially if you're just with one caregiver, it might be wonderful. You're stuck. If the weather is bad, you sit there all day. You might be able to watch some TV, play some cards, but you're limited. What's the best method to research options along the whole spectrum of care? If I can't afford a personal health care advocate, how do I start the process? So physicians and nurse practitioners are often aware of community resources. I always tell my clients and patients to speak to their doctor. And mind you, it's important not to just make a phone call. We know how busy nurses and doctors are these days and what a shortage there is today. So I always say make an appointment. Look at them face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and have a discussion. They are a wealth of knowledge. You have to just be in front of them and ask them point blank. What are my resources here? They can give you ideas about social workers, people who can come in and speak to a loved one about what they're feeling, and also offer advice on therapeutic modalities. Do you need some physical therapy? Do you need some occupational therapy? If you're having trouble swallowing, maybe a speech therapist needs to come in. So that would be my first line to talk to your medical personnel about what resources are available. There's also local chapters of the Alzheimer's Association in New York, Caring Kind. They can provide a list of caregivers or assisted living communities, nursing homes, and more. And those can be very helpful, those lists, where you can get some feedback. Don't forget the baby boomers are all maturing and and a lot of them are working with their own parents now. So talk to your friends. Don't live with this alone. The more people you talk to, the more information you obtain. And additionally, the internet is a fabulous resource. But I think it's important to get subjective information as well so that you can get feedback on what experiences have been. One community, for example, might not be right for everyone. So it's very important to explore on your own, but starting with subjective information from others is always a good point. And then one needs to really go and visit these different places. If in fact they're thinking about moving someone somewhere, they really need to see for themselves what these environments look like and how one may fit for one person and not for another. So as you said, the gamut of range in terms of expensive to less expensive, I'm sure you see that when you visit these sites as well. Absolutely. And when I am evaluating somebody to determine what community might be appropriate, I look at everything from what types of things do they enjoy to are they more simple-minded or do they like more fancy things. Communities nowadays really run the gamut. Some are a little bit more stately and older, while others are more contemporary, even from the art that they choose to hang on their walls. You know, sure. It's a complicated process, and they are 
looking for you to come in. So you have to sort of weed through the sales pitches and try to understand where do you belong. There are senior placement advisors that exist in communities. It's what I do. And I often think most people don't take advantage of that. Typically, you don't have to even pay them. They get paid by the communities, much like a realtor would get paid. You can avail yourself people who are knowledgeable of communities, and it's a really important resource to utilize. So tell me, what have we not covered that needs to be talked about? Anything? If I could impart one sentence of wisdom, it would be to really think about who you are as a person and make some choices or get a good understanding of, as we said at the beginning, how you want to live later on and impart that information to your loved ones. Have the conversation knowing that we don't live forever and we can be empowered by knowledge and choices. And then the other thing would be is advocating, making sure that you have an advocate. If you're not able to advocate for yourself, making sure that you have a loved one or a friend who can help you through because that's a really important thing these days. Yes. And for somebody who may be alone and not have family and they need to have an advocate and somebody who can be by their side as they make these decisions. So it is important to reach out. You are not only a wonderful human in the community for all that you do, but you are a fabulous geriatric nurse care manager and you have supported so many families and you have such knowledge about this very, very complicated world. And what can I say, Hildy Scheinbaum? I'm really honored. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation. I urge you to visit our show notes and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.